But I want to tell you, show you something in, uh, real quick in 1 Samuel 30. David has a fight with these people called the Amalekites. And if you don't know who the Amalekites were, if you want to be blessed, uh, find out who the Amalekites were and who, uh, what the Israelites uh, did with the Amalekites and their struggles with them. And, uh, uh, and just see, uh, you know, what, what going on. It'll start to open up your heart and mind about what happened in the um, Old Testament. They're always a sort of, uh, you know, a thorn in the side. Uh, but David here is uh, fighting these people. Uh, and uh, look in verse 9. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, where those stayed who were left behind. Uh, but David pursued, he and 400 men. For 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they couldn't cross the brook Bezor. And uh, what happens here is, you can read the rest of this, they come back from their fight, and the 400 men say to David, well, we have spoil and we ain't given any to the 200 men. They didn't go with us. And David says, what are you talking about? They sat here and guarded the supplies. And uh, they're just as valuable as what we were doing. They share. And what I'm saying to you is, if you didn't go, that's okay. But here's a lot of people prayed and encouraged. And, uh, uh, and so we're all in this together as we share the gospel. And here's what we want to do is we want to do it again on January 13th. So mark that on your calendars. And... Uh, um, it was a real blessing for me, and here's some of the, couple of the stories. I put this picture up here, again, not to guilt you, to tell you that you're part of the process, but here's really why I put up this picture. It has nothing to do with us. You see those three girls back there? They skated up to the back of us, and they were being, I don't know, funny, sarcastic, and they're like, hey, do you want us to be in your picture? And they were expecting us to say, no, get lost. And we said... No, of course we want you in the picture. Come on, get in the picture. And uh, after we took the picture, uh, they all got a gospel of John and they took it. And so, I mean, it was just like low-hanging fruit yesterday. The Lord had prepared all these people uh, to do it. And so uh, this is just one of a gazillion stories. Everybody went around afterwards and told some stories about what happened. We spent only about an hour and a half, maybe two hours and it was a real blessing. Now let me look over here, this little boy Dillinger, who was here, who's here today with his mom and dad, Joey and uh, Gina. They were there. I want you to see the next picture. This might be the greatest picture I ever took in my life. The first gospel track was handed out by Dillinger, and Dillinger gave that to that family, and they took it and were so glad and looked it over, and it was amazing. And so, I mean... I don't mean this in it. Listen, it's not a guilt thing, but if you say you can't do it, I mean, <laughs> Dillinger can do it, so we can all do it. Uh, so you're welcome to come next uh, time. It's going to be on the 13th. Uh, if you don't hear another announcement about this, you're going to meet at the Christmas tree, which I guess they keep the Christmas tree up a long time, uh, at noon on January 13th. Yes, sir.
If you park on the boulevard of the Allies, it's probably from here to the street. Yeah. Okay. Well, turn to uh, Genesis 18, and uh, we continue our story in um, in Genesis. And uh, one thing that I uh, forgot to point out last week, uh, uh, Genesis 17 is our name-changing or name-finding-out chapter. God reveals to us a new uh, name for himself, and God changes the name of Abram to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah. And um, uh, we find out that there's uh, going to be a new child, and he eventually gets the name, right? Isaac, which we said was laughter, or which is laughter. And so it's incredible that uh, God is so graceful when you examine the name changes and the revelation of who he is. And uh, we've been moving with Abraham and Sarai or Sarah for some time now. But remember, they're old people like me. And uh, they've been promised that they're going to receive a child, uh, but not just any child because they keep saying, well, we already have a child. And his, his name is uh, Ishmael through Hagar. But God keeps reminding them, no, 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 you're, you're going to have a child from your own body. You're going to have relations and you're going to have a child and you're going to name him Isaac and he's going to be the promised son. And we're learning, aren't we, that we're not to love the world or the things of the flesh, to operate outside of the spirit. That's what we're learning. Because Ishmael is a picture of what happens when we try to manipulate God's plans. Isaac is a picture of what happens when we let God live in through live in and through us and stand on his promises and yet amazingly God still in a mighty way loves Hagar and he loves uh, Ishmael and uh, he wants to see them do well did I say God or did I say Abram anyway Abram uh, loves them and wants to see them do well and he keeps even talking to God about them to make sure uh, that they're okay And now we come to the 18th chapter, and it's incredible because the Lord just keeps promising Abram and Sarah over and over again. And you sort of of scratch your head and wonder, don't you? Hey, Lord, um, you've already said this three or four times to these people. Don't they get it? I mean, that's kind of the sense you get when you read it. And then you start to think to yourself, oh, he's talking to me too. (laughs) about not standing on the promises, about freaking out when things go haywire, about not living and standing in faith or standing in the promised land. And uh, I don't know, is there anybody here that that resonates with? It resonates with me. And so we come to this and it says something really wonderful. Then the Lord appeared to him. Who? Abram. We're into Abraham. Uh, the Lord appeared to Abraham and uh He keeps doing this. The Lord keeps appearing to him. And uh, you know that in the book of James, do you not know this? Other Two other places in the Bible, but in the book of James, Abraham is called the friend of God. Did you know that? A friend of God. Can you imagine that? A friend of God. And so the Lord appeared to him and keeps appearing to him. And here's another appearance uh, by the terebinth trees of Mamre. As he was sitting in the tent door, listen to this, in the heat of the day. And just even that, just even that verse. 
Who here, think to yourself, is going through it? You're being scorched right now. You're hot. You're bothered. You're anxious. The heat is getting to you. And here, to his children, look at this, the Lord appears to them, even in the heat of the day. He comes to you with his presence and says, let's cool out, in a sense. The terebinth trees of Mamre, this is a big, big place in Abraham's life. Learn it and know it. Remember, Abraham moves to Mamre when he comes back into the promised land from Egypt. Do you remember that? That's in Genesis 13, 18. And apparently he stays there for a period of time. We learn that in Genesis 14, 13. And later on, we're going to see that when uh, Sarah dies, he uses a field and a cave there to bury his wife. That's in Genesis 23. Abraham himself is going to be buried there, and his son Isaac is also buried there. So a very prominent place in the Bible uh, for this patriarch. And so the Lord appears to him by the terebinth tree as he's sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. Three men. And when he saw them, look at this, he ran from the tent door to meet them. And here this gives you something. He bowed himself to the ground. Abraham is worshiping right here. You recognize in the Bible, in the New Testament, don't you? that oftentimes or sometimes or a few times in the New Testament, people bow down to the angels. And when the angels see that they're bowing down, they say, hey, man, don't do that. (laughs) Implying that worship is worthy for the Lord only. But here, the friend of God, you catching that? The friend of God bows himself to the ground and says... My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight. And he uses the word Yahweh, which is the covenant word, which means he's saying, wow, hey, Lord, we are in covenant together and praise you for that. And I'm going to bow down there. You've made promises to me. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give my life back to you. That's what Abram is saying, he bows himself to the ground and says, my Lord, if I've now found favor, well, then uh, uh, don't pass on by your servant. Now, we're going to learn later on in the next half chapter and then into the next chapter that two of those people that came to see Abram are angels. So one of them, the third one, is most likely, and most commentators believe, this is another Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means before Jesus was born in a manger, in the Gospels, in the New Testament, that Jesus came and was there appearing to Abram. Now, you know this, right? No man can see God and live, the Bible tells us. And yet, the Lord Jesus came. He came as a baby. And here, he apparently comes as himself. And Abram recognizes it. 
and bows down and worships. And that's always our response to Jesus. When we're in fellowship with him, we're in the new covenant era. We are sons and daughters of the king because Jesus did it all. He paid it all. We're in that position in the covenant of grace. And when we come to him, listen, it's a bowing down. It's a humbling. It's a, we recognize you're here and we are giving you worth ship. And so that's my life. And you say, well, yes, of course. Well, maybe yes, of course, except for this. The way in which some of us, probably including me, myself, and I first, pray to the Lord suggests sometimes that we get that skewed backwards. Sometimes what we do and pray and say to the Lord is, Lord, I've got this thing going on in my life. And I want you to bless it. And we might not say the rest of this sentence, but we think it. And if you don't bless it, I'm going to be upset about it. Anybody ever felt like that? I have. No. And here, though, immediately, Abraham knows the value, the sweetness, the goodness, the kindness, the justice, the mercy, the grace, the majesty, and more. We could just keep going on and on and on. He recognizes how valuable Jesus is. And it's not like he grasps hands and dabs him up. Hey, man, you're my buddy. No, man, he falls to the ground and worships. He knows. He knows. That a sinner like us could come into the presence of God here on earth is only a miracle. And you see... I get it. I have people text me. Why don't we do Christmas stuff? Well, here's Christmas. This is it. It was predicted. This is Christmas. That for our sakes, the richest of the rich, the most valuable, would become poor. But not just poor. I mean, yes, he did become poor. But he did it for our sakes so that we would become rich spiritually. It's incredible. And he bows down. He knows. And so he does. And he gets on the ground and he said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, don't pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I'll bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. And after that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. Excuse me. And they said, well, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf, which he'd prepared, and he set it before him, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Now, this is the old, uh, ancient uh, Bedouin uh, Middle East practice. Do you see what he said he would give to them? Abram says, you know what I'm going to do? Sit down. I'm going to give you a morsel of bread. 
And he runs in all that the resources that he has before him and he, with the help of his family and some servants, hey, let's make all this stuff. He undersells, or excuse me, underpromises and oversells. There it is. I mean, that's the ancient way of hospitality. You understand that? And here he's doing it. He recognizes him as the Lord, God on earth, Christmas. And he says, whoa, he deserves my best. And so he goes in and he does this thing where he gets their feet washed, gives them something to drink, puts them under the shade, and then not just makes bread, makes ready three measures of meal. And he needs it and makes cakes. And they go, they all go out to the herd, take tender and good calf. I mean, this is, this is complicated. But it's never too complicated to give your best to the Lord. It's amazing. So he does it. And I look at this and I say, wow, you know, uh, when I'm, uh, meeting the Lord there under a tree in the heat of the day. Am I worshiping the Lord or am I just, you know, giving him my wish list? And there's something about it, even as we read A.W. Tozer today, about just loving the Lord just because he's the Lord. Now, in God's goodness, isn't it true? He says, pray for your needs. There's nothing wrong with praying for your needs. You're going to get your needs. I'm going to provide for you and be providential. And that's wonderful too. But there's just something sweet about loving the Lord just because of his goodness and majesty. Amen? And look at this. I want you to see something else. I don't know. If I was hoping to, look, look, if I was hoping to um, get my point across about a promise, if I was hoping to get my point across about a promise, you know what I'd probably do? I'd probably use the chalkboard because I don't know too much about technology. And I'd take my chalk and I'd say, you know, January 1, 10 years ago, I promised you, Da-da-da-da-da-da. January 1, you know, 10 years hence, I promised you again. Then you asked me, and I'd sort of write it out, and I'd say, now, I want you to memorize this. Because you're not getting it. But I want you to see something here. God and Abraham have a meal you're like, what? This is no time to eat. I need promises, man. And I need you to deliver. And yet they have a meal. And when you go back through the Old Testament and the New Testament, just hang with me here. Look at this. God's getting ready to do one of the most amazing things that he's ever going to do. He's going to bring out his people from hard-hearted Pharaoh. And hard-hearted Pharaoh won't let his people go. But ultimately, the Lord sends the angel of death. And to commemorate that, you ever thought about this? 
They had a feast. You get it? I mean, a feast. You ever thought about that? A feast. They had a dinner at their house. And so the Lord told them to put the blood on their doorposts so that the angel of death would pass over. Amazing. But they also feasted. They ate and everything, as you all know, or many of you know, if you've ever done a Seder, was pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything in that meal. Amazing, right? How about this one? I love this one. I don't know, because somebody yesterday down at uh, home or uh, uh, sharing said this, January 13th, it's going to be cold. And I'm like, I love the cold, and I love snow. So let's bring it on. Let's go do it. But here's why I love the story of manna. Can you imagine every night you're in your tent? You ever, you know when the snow is so soft you can almost hear it? Ding, 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 ding. Every night, every night in the wilderness. Ding, 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 ding. There the Lord is again, sending down manna. The Lord in the wilderness provides bread, water, all the things. It's again through a meal that he shows himself mighty and strong. He's showing them. I'm boring some people, but uh, (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Listen, I do that to my uh, whole family, so that's not a lot. But um, Jesus said this too. Didn't you? you ever heard this? You need to know this. Listen to this. Because this is shocking. Jesus says in the book of John, well, if you don't eat my body and drink my blood, you'll have no part in me. You're like, what? I mean, again, it's something about eating, isn't it? Like taking it in. In other words, listen, what Abraham and God are doing, Jesus are doing here under the trees of Mamre is they're having spiritual fellowship in a deep way. And in the New Testament, God through Jesus is our complete sustenance. I want you to know something. It's not about rules and regulations. It's not about how you can measure up. It's about everything that Christ performed and did on our behalf and taking that in and now walking with God and talking with God in the heat of the day, hot, cold, or anything in between in the heat of the day. And you keep going on. I mean, when we get to heaven, hey, when we get into heaven, what will we be doing? Well, I heard you sing today. It was amazing. It's like a slice of heaven down here on earth. I think even in heaven, he's going to put my voice back together so I can sing on key. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But but amazing. In heaven, you're going to be singing. But one of the things you're going to be doing is you're going to be feasting. You ever wondered, scratched your head? Wait a minute. We're going to be eating in heaven? Yeah, you're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And what are you going to be doing? You're going to be joyful and you're going to be celebrating. You're going to be uh, excited and happy. Why? Because of him and how glorious and great and valuable he is. And you get to spend all your time right there. Amazing. And I'm just trying to show you that God doesn't do things in the way in which We think he should do them. Here's how I think he should do them. Write the bullet points down so I can memorize the thing. 
He says, no, no, no. Come fellowship with me. Come commune with me. You can do it any day, all day in your car. You can do it by the blood of Jesus. You can come into my throne room. You can go hike if you want. Go out in the woods and just talk to me. But not because you're in the woods, but because of the blood of Jesus. You get it? Or you could do it in your house. You could do it while you're shaving. Anything. Well, half of us do that. But you know what I'm saying. And uh, you can do it because of the blood of Jesus. And here, every third Sunday of the month. Don't ask me why it's the third Sunday. It just is. No, I'm kidding. Because <laughs> one time we got our Sundays mixed up, so we just kept going with third. Every third Sunday of the month, we do something. We take the cracker and the juice. It's a reminder of all that he's done, but it's a reminder that you have fellowship with God. And he wants to do it that way through a meal. It's incredible. And that promise that he's about ready to deliver, he's delivering through a meal. Why? I'm giving away the rest of the story, but I got to do it right here. We haven't read it here yet, but his nephew... And his whole family are going to run into peril. Now, Lot's going to make it out, but the rest aren't. And God is being tender towards the uncle here. He's being really tender towards the uncle. Something's coming, but I want you to remember something. When you get, you're in the heat of the day now, but just wait. When you look down towards Sodom and see what's about ready to happen when judgment comes... I want you to remember we have this promise. Isn't that tender? And this meal is not only for Abraham. This meal is for Sarah too because she's heartbroken. She keeps wondering, well, you know, you told me several years ago, Lord, actually, Maybe, you know, my husband told me you told him several years ago, Lord, and what in the world's going on? And I'm really running out of patience here, Sarah is sort of saying, and probably, you know, you can understand it, right? So they said, look at this in verse 9. They say to him, hey, where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, well, here in the tent. And he said, well, I'll certainly return to you according to the time of life, and behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. She's in the tent, but the Lord knows she's listening. Isn't that interesting? And he said, I'm going to, he didn't say this, but I'm reiterating again the promises that I've given you several times over a meal. Spiritual intimacy, fellowship, communion, covenant. I promise. I love you. I want to sit down with you and have a meal. Amazing. And also, I want your wife to know this. And Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. That's funny. Oh, if you want to say it nicer, well advanced in the age. <laughs> the Bible, so funny sometimes. But anyway, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself. Mark around, take a big... Calvin and Hobbes crayon and put herself and mark it for yourself. She didn't say it out loud, in other words. Do you catch that? Sarah does not say this out loud. And you got to remember now, 
God had revealed himself to one wife, Hagar, as the God who sees. And I'm sure that had gotten back to Sarah. Now he reveals himself as the God who knows everything that's going on inside of your heart and mind and your thoughts. In other words, you can't hide, I can't hide anything from the Lord. You know that thought you thought about me or whatever, (laughs) or about somebody, I'm just goofing around, but whatever, a bad thought about somebody or a tough thought about somebody, or maybe you thought something even worse than that. You know, the Lord knows it. You can't hide it. But the good things too, don't dwell just on the bad. The good things that he knows it. He knows all that's going on. And that's interesting because when you serve a God like that, you're like, whoa, this is different. (laughs) Amazing. He sees me and he knows me and he understands my thoughts and he still comes down and saves me. And wants to have fellowship with me, I'm reminded, every third Sunday of the month or whenever you take communion. And he wants to have fellowship with me. Wow. In my gratitude of recognizing how great he is, I just want to give my whole life back to him. Sarah laughed within herself. And she says in her heart, I've grown old. Shall I have pleasure? In other words, some people believe are just... Listen, commentators, pleasure of having a kid or just pleasure of having sexual relations with her husband because they're so old. And he's, she's just like, wow, have I grown old? Shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also, talking about Abram. And the Lord said to Abram, hey, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Now here's where it gets good. You got something going on here. You just can't understand unless you know Hebrew. I don't know Hebrew, so I'm not bragging. I just look it up. And she, and the Lord says, or they say this, is anything too hard for the Lord? He says, at the appointed time, I'll return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah uh, shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no. But you did laugh. (laughs) And what's funny about that is, you know me, I know, I've already had to confess it to you today, and I'm not kidding about that. I'm totally a smart aleck in my life, and uh, my love language is sarcasm, and I need the Lord to really help me there. And I read this, and I go, wow, the Lord was really upset with Sarah. Let me show you something. Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I've grown old, shall I have pleasure? (laughs) And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? I'm reading it again on purpose. Why? Saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? And then he says something that you and I, listen, I like this kind of talk because I like, like, aggressive stuff. Testosterone, man. I'm into that. I like it. I know I'm going to get in trouble for this. I don't like the new NFL. I like the old NFL. But, you know, lawyers have messed that all up. (laughs) And it is true. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. There's nothing too hard. And he wants, listen, over a meal, 
a fellowship meal of spiritual intimacy that he wants to reassure his friend who walks with him, Abram himself. He wants to assure him that, listen, these promises are still going to go through, and I'm here, and I know you're going to have some heartache here in a minute because you love those people down in Sodom. They're part of your family, but I want you to know that my promises will prevail. That's what he says to Abraham. But he also says, look, you know her lurking back in the tent? The promise for her is still great, and there's nothing too hard for me. In fact, I don't know if you remember this, but in Luke chapter 1, when they're talking about Mary having a baby with no relations, the commentary there, the, the Bible says there, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. And he says it to Mary, too, the Lord. She's going to have the Lord. Says it all the way back here to Sarah. What am I talking about? Why am I getting so excited? Because see, the word hard there, if you turn to, here comes Christmas again. If you turn to Isaiah 9, 6, I always laugh. We have a joke in our family. It's not the wonderful counselor. We joke about this. Because after wonderful, there's a comma. And it says wonderful counselor. You get it? Everybody with me? The same root word for hard right here is the same root word for wonderful. This word right here doesn't mean necessarily, although it is a secondary use of the word, difficult. It means that when the Lord enters into any situation, he takes something that's terrible and awful and makes it wonderful and marvelous. That's what this means. This is incredible. Here's this poor lady who we sort of give her a bad rap. I'm thinking to myself, if I had to wait 10, 15, 20 years, I might laugh. Not, I might. I know I would. And the Lord's walking by, and we read this, and we say, come on, Sarah. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I don't think he's saying it that way. I think what he's saying is, dear, don't you fret. The thing that you think is the most difficult, awful thing in your life, I'm going to turn around and make it beautiful. Oh, come on. That's amazing. And that's what the Lord does in every one of his followers' lives. He wants to take the ashes of our lives and he turns them around for his beauty and glory. It's wonderful what he does. When you're in the heat of the day, what he's doing is something wonderful. You get it? Oh, we're not done. Let me give you something that maybe you've never considered before. And when the Lord says, and he says, no, but you did laugh. Don't you say to yourself, ooh, I'd have hated to be Sarah right there. (laughs) I'm not even looking eye to eye, and I'd have been behind the curtain like, ooh, should I come out now or what? But don't forget, what was the name of the promised child again? Say it. Isaac. What did it mean? Laughter. 
Did you get what he was doing? You're laughing maybe, or maybe even scoffing a little bit. I'm going to take what was the most heartbreaking situation in your life. And I am going to do it. And of course she was laughing. And the Lord said, yeah, that's your son. Meet your son. So that every time somebody said hi to little old Isaac, imagine taking him to pre-kindergarten or whatever, preschool. Hey, Isaac, come on in. What would resonate in her ears and her heart? Oh, my. God did it. God did it. God did it. God did it. And he turned my mourning to laughter. Turned my ashes to beauty. And he did it for his good and his glory because, as you know, the promises are going to come through that little guy. What a story. Here's another thing, secondary, I think this first part of this story tells us. Is that the Bible calls us as believers, whether it be the Lord who's always invited to our house, or angels, or or whoever it is, to be hospitable. We're called to a hospitality ministry. Now, some others, some people have this greater than others, but you know that you read in Hebrews. Can you believe this? The Hebrew writer got this from this story. Hey, make sure you practice hospitality because you never know who you're entertaining. Might be angels. That's what he says in Hebrews. In Peter and other places, it also asks us out of an overflow of the life of Christ in us to be people of hospitality. And I want you to notice the word. The word in there has hospital in it. Hospital in it. One of the things we see here about hospitality is, one, be generous. Be generous. I promised you a morsel. You come over, you're getting, you know, the fatted calf or whatever. But be generous. And it doesn't necessarily have to be gifts or meals or anything. But be generous in your spirit and in your encouragement and your exhortation and your love and your, um, you know, building up other people when they come over. Amen? Be generous. Don't be an island unto yourself. Have people. God bless you. Have people into your home. Fellowship over a meal. Bring them cookies or, you know, have cookies and coffee with them. You don't always have to do the grandest thing. But... To bring somebody in there shows your generosity. And it shows, you know, as you do those sorts of things, it becomes a way you can disciple people. As you bring people over to your house, you're showing them how to be hospitable when they start to uh, venture out and disciple others. Do you get that? And when you bring them in, what are you bringing them in for? As a hospital, you're bringing them in to find refuge and strength in time of trouble. You're being uh, letting the Lord's life throw, flow in and through you as they seek refuge at their house or at your house or wherever it is that you're meeting with them. And you become closer, don't you? When you have people and you're fellowshipping over a meal and they're in your homes or you're in their homes or whatever, don't you become closer? Don't you find that? I mean, this is great and wonderful, but man, when you go to somebody's house, 
And you know this, in the ancient world or in this world, in the biblical world, when you ate with somebody, right, you dip. Now, no double dipping. But you dip. And then they dip in the same bowl. You getting it? No double dipping, but they dip. And what they thought was the stuff you ingested bound you together in real fellowship and love. You get it? And so you become an example for others and you're discipling. And then you know what happens. You get to share Christ. (laughs) So for us in the body of Christ... It's wonderful because we can get to know each other. We can pray for one another, share our burdens, confess our sins one to another, grow closer together, disciple one another, build each other up, and send to others. But you know you could be hospitable to an outside world and bring them over. Listen, bring people to your house who believe differently than you, who don't even know the Lord Jesus. Bring them over. Fellowship with them. You don't have to, you, listen, you don't have to do this, you know, come in the door, bang, bang, bang. You don't have to, you know, give them your political party affiliation. You know, here's who I am and come on in and uh, this is who I vote for. You don't vote for them, get out. You don't have to do any of that. Why? Why would they do anything like a Christian if they're non-Christian? Bring them in. Love on them. Don't ever deny your Christianity. If they ask you, give them an answer, a reason for the hope that you have in your life. But bring them in and love them and love them authentically. Don't bring them in as a notch on your belt. Who I had two, uh, I had two, uh, unbelievers at my house this week. Huh. Amazing what I'm doing. No, bring them in in hospitality. Fellowship with them. Grow close to them. Pray for them. Tell them you love them. Let them see. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Let them see that. And the Lord will do it. And pray for them. And do it over a consistent time. It's a real gift. But man, what a way to share Christ with people. They'll come to see that there's something hospital-like, spiritually and emotionally, all that, at your house. And when they ask you, you got them. You say, well, oh, you want to know why I'm so joyful or why this or why I have peace. Do you really want to know that? Yeah, I really want to know. Well, it's because of Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced that one of the ways in which we can change the world by God's grace, listen, as God's love and light throws through, flows through you, is to invite people who have stories different than your own and begin to listen to them with relational courage to tell them when they ask who it is you love, Jesus and adore and worship. The people want to know they're cared for. And you tell them, well, we care for you, but Jesus cares for you ultimately. Amen? I know. I'm treading on thin ice sometimes. But I really believe hospitality is one of the great things that we neglect as a way in which to share Christ. Well, we get through here. 
Abram, or excuse me, the Lord's given to Abram this promise of fellowship and promise, and he, it's for your wife, and we read it like, wow, is anything too hard for the Lord? No, the Lord can do anything, and he can do anything, but he's going to transform it into beauty. And oh, by the way, you did laugh. You're going to have a son. It's going to come from your body. Wow. Well, the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom 16, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? The men rose from there and looked toward Sodom. Abraham went with him. The Lord said, Listen, the Lord's thinking out loud. He's moving and growing in people's lives. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Now listen, why would God ask that? Well, read the next sentence. He sort of tells us. Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations, listen, all the nations, Israel is to be a light unto all the nations, so it will be Israel, but it's also all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. So in order for Abraham to be a blessing, He's got to go through some things so that God can use him as a channel of God's blessing. Do you get that? Abraham's got to go through some things and learn some things and grow in some things so that Abraham, who's going to, through his family, bless all the nations, he's got to learn and the Lord's going to teach him. You get it? So the Lord wants him to be a blessing to all the nations, which means he wants Abram the father of the Israelites, the Jews, the Hebrews, listen, he wants Abram to have compassion on all peoples. You understand? I want you to bless all the nations, not just Israel. I want you to bless it. Now, listen, are we for Israel? Do we stand with Israel? Yes. But God cares for all peoples. And he wants Abram to see this, and so watch. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him. Of course, Abram, the king, or you know, the father of the Jewish nation. Yes, those children. But this applies to your children. You get blessed through God, so you can bless your kids, whether that be your biological kids or your kids in the faith. You ever thought about feeding the five and four thousand? What did they do? They went up and got the food from Jesus and took it back to the people. And then they'd give, you know, they'd all go out, watch, and they'd grab it. And the Lord kept breaking it, saying, thanks, here you go. Why in the world would God do that? Would Jesus do that? Because he wants to use us. It's incredible. So here he teaches Abram to command his children. He's teaching us to command his children that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness And justice, those are the things that are important to God. They're going to be important to his people. Righteousness, stand for righteousness, yes. And stand for justice and seek justice, yes. But the Lord does it that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he's spoken to him. And the Lord said, watch this, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now, and see whether they have done all together according to the outcry against it that has come to me. 
And if not, I will know. Now, this is a troublesome passage for some people. And they look at this and they go, hmm, I thought God knew everything. I thought God knew everything. This bothers me. The Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gore is great, I'm going to go down there and see what's going on. Do you think the Lord knew what was going on, folks? Yes, of course he does. Guess what he's doing? He's showing Abraham that he is perfectly right, righteousness, and just by doing what a good judge would do, going down and evaluating. He already knows, but he wants Abraham to see him go down so it'll impact Abraham that he is doing something perfectly good and righteous. Now, what's funny here is we think Sodom and Gogorrah is sinful. Very great. It's grave. We go, oh, sexual perversion. And yes, of course, we're going to see it here in a, in a minute. There's sexual perversion in the city. But if you read Ezekiel 16:49, and hopefully this comes right to our kitchen. Hits home, in other words. In Ezekiel 16:49, the reason it says that Sodom was so um, in such trouble is because of, here it comes, pride. Fullness of food and abundance of idleness, America. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. That's what God has against this area. Whoa. Wait a minute. I thought it was sexual perversion. Well, it is that plus this. You understand? And what's fascinating about this verse 20 and beyond, you know the word outcry right there? This is used in Scripture to describe cries of oppressed people who have been brutalized. If you look it up, widow, orphan, servants, the cries of the Israelites in Egypt. Jeremiah uses it to refer to the scream of terror by an individual or city when it's attacked. Or the miserable wail of oppressed people and brutalized people. This is serious stuff here. God hears the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, and because their sin is very grave, listen, I'll go down now and uh, see for myself. Now, do me a favor and look to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. If you're not, you can't flip, just look. Luke chapter 17, look at verse 28. Likewise, it was also in the days of Lot. This is Luke 17, 28. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. Folks, I'm not a smart dude, but I know that we are in the part of the Bible that's dealing with the, you know, the story of Lot and the things that are, Asking for God's wrath is pride. Too much comfort. Too idle. Always into entertainment. Not paying attention to 
and helping the poor and needy or the oppressed and sexual perversion. It says, likewise, it was also in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Listen, man, oh man, even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. (laughs) That's the cry that beckons Jesus now, you see, because that's where we are. And I believe and we believe that in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, Jesus is going to come with imminence and rapture his church and begin a period of judgment that's never been seen before. And the thing about the Lord is he's been telling us for all these years. We've scoffed and we've laughed and we've not lived alertly. Well, here's what happens. The men turn away from there, go towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord and Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? And far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked. So that the righteous should be as the wicked, far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? By the way, that's Abraham's confidence in the Lord. You know how you try to figure out all the end of life stuff and all this, that, and where this person goes and what? You know when you can't figure it out what you can always just come right back to? (laughs) You can come back to this verse. Do you really believe, do I really believe that the judge of all the earth would do right. Yes. Amen. He's going to sort it all out. You don't have to worry about that. And this tells us right here, I think that the righteous are not judged with the wicked. During our lifetime, sometimes things happen where the righteous and the wicked or the believer and the unbeliever sort of have or involved in like similar catastrophe, like the tsunami or a a tornado or something. And that's unfortunate. But what this, I think, is talking about is you're not going to be judged at the judgments that matter with the wicked. There will be to the great white throne judgment. Believers will go to the Bema seat judgment. Two different judgments, and praise the Lord for that. Amen is right. And I don't want any of you to be at the great white throne judgment. I don't want me to be at the great white throne judgment. I don't want my family, none of you, all of us. That's reserved for people who want to live according to their righteousness. The Bema seat judgment is for people who want to place all their trust and hope in Jesus who gives us his righteousness. Praise God for that. But we're not going to be judged in that sense righteous and wicked. And watch as we go. This shows us that the righteous preserve their communities. Doesn't it reserve, uh, show us that? Uh, so that uh, the righteous should be, uh, uh, as the wicked far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do that. 26, so the Lord said, if I find Sodom 50 righteous within the city, I'll spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, deed now, I who am, 
but dust and ashes have taken it upon my spell to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 50. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, hey, if I find there 45, I won't destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. So he said, I won't do it for the sake of 40. And then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I'll speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I won't do it if I find 30. And he said, indeed, now I've taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20. So he said, I won't destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry. Sound familiar? (laughs) And I'll speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found. And he said, I won't destroy for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Now, what is going on here? Of course, what we're seeing is uh, uh, this back and forth between a friend of God and God himself. And God isn't relenting or changing his mind. You know what God's doing? It's often what Jesus does in the New Testament. You ever just, you want to do something great this year for yourself? Go through the Gospels and write down all the questions Jesus asks. Jesus asks a lot of questions. Why? Why do you think Jesus asks a lot of questions? Why do you think the Lord does this back and forth, ping pong, volleyball, whatever it is, lobs back and forth between Abraham and him. Here's why, I think. He's trying to teach him something. That's what Jesus does always in the Gospels. What I think he's trying to teach him here is, again, the same old thing. And he's trying to teach you. And he's trying to teach me. That I want you to have compassion on the people. When you look across... And here's how we do it. Look, we look across, pointing fingers. Look at those people over there. Look what they're doing. Look how bad they are. They're so prideful and sexually perverse and all this stuff. And don't, don't, don't. And yes, we need to stand for righteousness, but there has to be this place where we understand and know, yes, they're like that because they're outside the purposes and will of God and they they haven't given their life to Christ. And so we're going to be patient with them and love them. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to intercede for them. We're going to stand in the gap. Be the watchman on the wall for the people who don't even know the horrors they're headed for. It's not something to rejoice in and be happy about. It's something to work with God on and pray to him and think about those people. Oh, don't say those people. Those people. If it wasn't for God's grace and his mercy, there's where I stand. And so I know it can be, we know it can be, humanly madding, you know, like make drive us mad that those people would act like that and be like that. And the Lord keeps taking him through this 50, 45, whatever, to give him, to start building in him a heart of compassion for people. That's what the Lord's doing here. People want to know what it's with the 50. What's with the 45? Why did he end at 10? Boy, it's complicating me. Well, he started to go in tens there at the end. And if he went one more 10 and subtracted 10, it'd be zero. And he's having a heart of compassion here. 
God's building that into Abraham. Wow. What's this tell us? Don't get frustrated. Pray for the people who are into these things. Reach out to them with love and joy. Bring them into your place and be hospitable to them. Share truthfully, but lovingly, but truthfully, but lovingly. Be generous to them and kind. And stand in the gap for them. All the places and times that you walk with the Lord and know the Lord and feel his presence and and, 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 and are with the Lord. You're just reaching up to the Lord. Lord, the people down there, have mercy on them. Hold their Lord until more come in to your kingdom. Our prayers. Well, it's a powerful chapter. It says so much about the Lord as we wrap up. And I just want to say, listen, If there's somebody in here who has no idea whether they're going to be with the Lord in heaven for eternity or not, maybe there's somebody here who doesn't know that. Maybe they've never given their life and surrendered their life to the Lord. Well, I'm going to ask that you we all bow our heads here in a minute. And if that's you, I want you to pray with me, recognizing you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, that you want to turn from your sin and turn towards God and ask the Lord to come and be your Lord and Savior. Have him fill you up with his Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit and walk with him in all the promises. Because the Bible tells us that we get these promises so that when we're in the heat of the day, Our answer isn't to manipulate that situation or do this thing over here or run there and do that. Here's our answer is to bow down and worship the king. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do. We come together and uh, we lift up this time and pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work here. And, uh, Lord, you've been listening in. and uh, We want to be people, Lord, who love like you love and bear long with people like you bear long with people and have compassion on people who the world says can't have compassion. And I pray that if there's anybody in here who's never surrendered their life to Jesus, they'd raise their hand and we could pray together. If you don't know where you're going to live <laughs> or if you're going to live in eternity, that be you. And you want to know. I just pray you let raise your hand. And uh, We pray for you too. Well, Lord, we do. We give you this day and we ask you, Lord, um, you give us the resource and the strength to move through this week and share your love and light with a hurting and dark world and have compassion on people like you have compassion. Flow through us in that way, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.